Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. February 21st, 2019. Thank you for tuning in to the Mike Abadir Show here on Voice of America. Mike, we uh, we like sports. We talk sports. Everybody likes money. How would you like to be uh, be getting paid $300 million for 10 years to live down in, in San Diego uh, like old Manny Machado? I love it even more if I know that even if I start the year you know, eight for 57 with one home run and two RBIs that maybe by game 10, I'll be asked about it. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) talk Uh, about taking like the cupcake way out. I mean, for $300 million, there's no such thing as a cupcake way out. You know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit surprised by the Padres jumping into the fray more than, than him taking that deal, right? So, so you got Machado, 10 years for $300 million. Some of the other big all-time contracts, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, who is 13 years, 325. So overall, he has more but not as much per year. And then you have some of the big ones that we remember, like A-Rod, who actually had two massive Twice, yep. a massive couple of them uh, the the 252 million and the 275 million Miguel Cabrera still in the middle of a 247 million dollar 8 year contract so he make he actually makes 31 million a year and you look at um, Kershaw who makes 30 million actually Granky makes over 34 million a year and then you got to get up to some of the NBA basketball players as they uh, with now the new Supermax they can make up into the 40 millions of dollars now like uh, Russell Westbrook is making 41 million a year Steph Curry just over 40 a year and uh, John Wall's going to be coming up there soon in the next couple of years when his kicks in so the well, I think it's a lot easier to be able to do that when you're doing it over a shorter time period, you know, yeah. over three, four, five years. Sure, sure. You know, I think they were really stubborn about the 10 years. The one thing that is a little bit surprising, you're talking about annual dollars per year, per season. And according to um, the disappointment on Kenny Williams, general manager of the Chicago White Sox's face, and what he said was that the annual per year would have actually been higher if he would have went with the White Sox deal. Some had it pegged, if he had all his incentives, to get to about $350 million over eight years. So uh, I'd be very curious to see if uh, he's kind of giving us a little bit of fluff. Like when I say fluff, when I look at like NFL incentives, some are classified as likely to be achieved incentives and some are not. So, for example, if you've got like a a number four wide receiver, 2,000 receiving yards is not likely to be achieved. Sure. Right. And the definite based on the CBA, the way we would determine whether something is likely or not is if he's ever achieved a milestone before. So maybe for a number three or number four receiver, maybe 750 yards. That would be likely. So when I'm looking at this deal, when Kenny Williams says that, was this based on consecutive MVPs? That's a very, very difficult standard. Is it consecutive all-star teams? Very doable, right? So it's it, it's interesting to, to see and to hear, but bottom line 10 for 300, can't blame the guy. What does it do for the Padres, G? Well, that, that's what's interesting because as a Dodger fan, we I saw him as a rental last year, and I was really excited to see him play, but this was 
this is what happens too. It's funny when when you root for, or when you when you know a player is good, but then you don't watch them every game. You'll your opinion will change on them one way or the other. You'll either really like someone or you're you're either really dislike someone. So, so you were like a lot of Dodger fans stoked when you found out that the Dodgers landed Manny Machado sure, at I the mean, trade and, deadline. Yep. And, let, and let's say this honestly, when you just look at Manny's numbers. He's a good play. I mean, better than good player. He's an excellent player. He's one sure. of the better best players in the league. He hits the hell out of the ball. Um, it's not the talent with Manny. It's just the attitude, what you expect. This was the first time that he's ever been playing in games that mattered, games that were meaningful. Did he help the Dodgers? Absolutely. Uh, I don't. I don't think they probably get to the World Series without him because with the injury to Seager early in the year, they were just missing another consistent bat and just another a presence in the lineup that other teams had to worry about more than anything another big guy in the lineup to to concern yourself with instead of a lot of the Dodgers kind of slightly above average kind of players who are, are more platoon fit like you know play one off day play one off day it was nice to have him in the lineup all the way so, through. so, so, so you saw, saw up close and personal but we saw his you, attitude man it was what? just like as a fan I will. I always want to root for someone who is the opposite of him. In that, I want to root for someone who's less talented but just cares a lot, tries their butt off, you know, in the dirt, uh, kick balls off their chest. Someone who you know will make sacrifices for the better of the team. Like that's the player that you want. Someone who's always who has a motor, who's always going. Just a. Few, he was only here for a few months, and we saw him have incidents where. He thought he hit a home run off the wall, and he was just caking it to first, and he almost got thrown out. We saw one where he took a cheap shot at, um, when he was running down the line and stepped on the first baseman's it was leg. Jesus Aguilar's leg. I mean, there were at least three or four times where there were double play balls that he was just jogging through. He could have easily beaten them out or balls hit in the hole that he just kind of dogs it on down. He mentioned, I'm not Charlie Hustle. I mean, I just... Is he a very good player? Absolutely. But that the problem is, Mike, I, I just don't want to invest all of this money in him and make him be the central focus of a team and a franchise for the next decade. I, I yeah. just don't I don't think that's a positive. The Jesus Aguilar one in particular, I think, got a lot of attention. It was a primetime game, you know, NLCS, big time uh, situation, big time important key part of the game that happens in front of everybody to see. And I think that was kind of the moment where a lot of Dodger fans said, you know what, enough is enough. Because it's really interesting here you walk us through that, right? Yeah. You, you, you know, you're like many, celebrated this move at the trade deadline. You said he was a key component of the team. You acknowledged, admit that he helped get the team to the World Series as a Dodger fan. You loved what he did. Yet, I didn't hear anybody saying they wanted him back. Not one. And there it's was so never- unusual. It's so rare Find that nobody wanted him back. I, I don't. I don't recall seeing a single tweet even saying, "I really hope the Dodgers resign this guy." This is a guy who's projected to hit thirty home runs again this year, you know, and and from a an infield position, you know, from either a shortstop or third base, you know, he can play both. And he projected to you know hit thirty home runs with right around ninety RBIs and bat two eighty, get on on base three forty, five hundred slugging. Like this is a solid player. We're talking. Oh yeah, about. he's been in the league for a long time, and, and I believe it. his lifetime WAR is a, is right there for a twenty five, twenty six year old, comparable to all the all time greats. And if you compare his numbers to Harper, he's a little more consistent. Even 
Yes. He, he really is. You know, he's been very consistent. He, he doesn't have down years really from a batting average standpoint. Like sure. it's never going to be lower than like a bad year for him is like 260. You know, he's always, he's going to be between like 260 and 300 all the time. Yep. And he's going to produce. And whether you like him or not, he just, he, he, ha- he's got a good swing and he's got, he's, he's great up to, he's great at, at the plate. He really is. But he just, he makes the faces too. And it's just, he gets, he's a frustrating player. He so really kind of begs the question. When I throw out the number three hundred million and a ten-year commitment, I would think that most people would agree that everybody would want him. Sure, and right? that's what was, and that's what's unusual about this is I don't think every team would want him. So how does how does he become a three hundred million dollar player? Do you see what I'm saying? Like I mean, Mike, to me, three hundred million means like Michael Jordan. Everybody unanimously yeah. says, pay the guy, and what, or what, LeBron, or even Shaquille, or even a, a Kobe, or a Kershaw, or a Madison Bumgarner during their heyday. Guys like that were consensus. I think the guy in, in baseball currently right now, it would be Trout. I don't think that there's any team that wouldn't want him agree, and that wouldn't pay $300 million. I think Mookie Betts has probably vaulted himself sure. to that level, or pretty yeah. close to that level. I agree. I don't know if every fan and team feels the same way about no. Harper or Machado. Not at all. Not at all. I don't. And that, and that's, what's crazy just about the way that, you know, what sort of happens with the money and the way the contracts go, like Mike Connolly, there's, and, you know, look at the NBA and some of the higher paid players there and some of the big contracts too are, uh, you know, like Mike Connolly's up there. One, one of them for 30, he's making 30 million a year for five years, 152 million, you know, $30.5 million per year. That's, and Mike Connolly isn't a perennial all-star. You know, he's a very good player, but he's not necessarily one that's that's a franchise game changer. Even I don't even know if he's on Memphis still or not. <laughs> no, he is, and he just he's okay. not. He hasn't. He was going to get traded. They didn't trade him. They decided okay, to keep so him. They traded Gasol right. instead. You know, uh, I mean, even some of them like we look at um, Stanton. Like right off the bat, even after year one, like he'll be around and he'll hit home runs. But like, do you want to pay Stanton twenty five million dollars a year for the next you know ten years, <laughs> eight years? I don't. I don't know. I you know. Uh, a Rod's contract, like of all of these top contracts, the ones that the only ones that really paid out, you could say, are A Rod because he won with the Yankees. I mean, even you know Miguel Cabrera, that one's gonna look bad now for the next three years, the next four years. But Cabrera is is not a shell of himself. Robinson Cano, Pujols, that look horrible towards the end of the, the years for for the Angels. Joey Votto, you know, I don't know like, how much are they gonna win. David Price. And not just that, Votto had like what twelve home runs last year, and yeah, I mean, I had a fantasy average or really, something. Really down year, really down year, especially for him. I mean, Price, who was good last year, so now after winning, you can you can kind of like make an excuse for that contract. But up until that playoff, you know, up until the last two playoff series, really last year, people were starting to scratch their head at that one. Prince Fielder was one. I mean, most of these do not pay off really, and the only and the ones that do when you look at are the basketball ones because in basketball. With with a smaller team and a smaller like and a smaller roster, you need a star. So when you have one of your stars, like a lot of them, you pay like even a Russell Westbrook. Like they don't win, but Russell Westbrook is good for the Thunder because Russell Westbrook helps them get Paul George and they're a top four team and they're in the playoffs every year. Okay, so this this is a perfect segue to something that I I thought about, and and I don't want to get into college basketball yet. We'll reserve that for when Scott Shapiro joins us uh, uh, in the next segment here, but. It kind of gets me to thinking about when I was watching Zion yesterday leading up to the ball game, they were talking about the ticket prices for the matchup. Obviously, two top 10 teams 
arch rivals to the most storied franchises in, or you know universities in college basketball in the sports environment, landscape, et cetera, so on and so forth. Tickets are going for 2500 bucks. But let's face it, much of that was to see Zion Williamson at the big stage in this epic matchup between two teams that really hate each other. So it kind of got me thinking, along with what you're talking about, who are the guys that fill the seats? Who are must-see guys? Who are guys in the past for you where you'll drop everything? Like you're at church service or you're at a wedding or you're at school or whatever, and you're going to open your phone and take a look and say, I want to see this at bat, or I want to see this game or this fight or whatever. Because Zion seems like that type of guy, at least in college basketball. And depending on which team he lands on, he probably will be. Well, regardless of which team, everybody wants to see his first game, right? Yeah. So so who are those? Who are some of the must-see type guys for you? Because to me, 300 million means must-see. Must yeah. see at bats. Like I want to watch Manny's first game, and then his next one, the next one, the next one. So a lot. Most I'll give you most of mine that were tinted towards my fandom, and then a couple that are more just general. Like for me, the the one that comes to mind immediately was Shaq, just yeah. because of his size. Yep. Right. Like how big this guy was. I had to like see him in person and be able to just see him like play against and dominate. And when it's like, when you, when you see someone who's so big and he's so larger than life and he's got that great personality, it was like, I had to see Shaq like, and, and, and his size, like number one for me. Um, and then some other ones like Kobe, obviously was like one I had to check off my list as a, as a Laker fan. I had to see him in person Two from the Dodgers that were, uh, at the very beginning was Puig. Like right when Puig came up, man, oh, yeah. there was nothing like those first couple months. Manny was, was like that too. Manny Ramirez when they Manny traded Mania. for him. Manny Wood out there. It was incredible. It was so much fun. And then just like like seeing when Kershaw gets to pitch against Bumgarner or like some when Kershaw gets to pitch against somebody really good and like a really good Kershaw pitching matchup has been so much fun. One that I haven't had the chance to see, but I will want to go see sometime because I want to see him in Northern California is Steph Curry. I want to go to one of those games and watch him do his whole warm Mm -hmm. up and see that because to me, he is one that is a star who has like really changed the game quite sure. a bit you know and, and he's like a transformative type and then unfortunately i went to the laker game and i didn't get to see lebron so my sister got me tickets this year no there was no lebron no kuzma and no lonzo the game i went to but uh i'll, I'll definitely be going back to a few more I, i'd love to see that that brick house in in person because he is just a just like a physical specimen too it's either the really big guys or I, to me it's like someone who's really big or someone who's really small that's that makes them more fun to see in person and watch them really do their thing. So that's why Steph Curry's on my list because he's not you know like a massive athlete and um, Nick Van Exel. I love to watch him go at it, kind of bump into people and go back. But yeah, he was a lot of fun. Yeah, how about how about some for you, Mike? Who are who are your uh, who are your must see or who have been some of your must sees through the years? You mentioned a lot of the ones that immediately come to mind for me. There were so, a couple like flash in the pan type, like Lin Sanity for for that sure. oh, sure. short period Blake, of time. Was Blake Griffin? Blake Griffin. Yep. Uh, I think for me, it's you don't find too many of them in the NFL because a lot of that depends on who you're going up against. You know, you have like Peyton and and Brady going up against each other, going back and forth. You want to maybe see that even like a Deion Sanders, who is a must see athlete. You know, you don't really tune in necessarily to a Falcons game or to a you know Cowboys or Niners later on game because he may not even touch the ball because he's so shut down. So it's not so much in football. You don't really see it so much. 
Um, even a receiver may not get many touches in a game. So it's more individual sports or individual matchups. Hitters and pitchers, like you mentioned, I think are key. I remember when Steven Strasburg first came out. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was must Yeah, that was must see. Yeah. Uh, a few years before that, out of SC, jumped through the minor league system pretty quickly. Mark Pryor was, was kind of like that for oh, me, yeah. at least. Carrie Wood at the beginning was really fun. Yep, Carrie yeah. Wood, 20 Ks. 20, um, I, I, that game, I remember my dad, like, I think it was a day game when he hit the 20 Ks and the game was on WGN, you know, the, yeah. and I yep. remember watching the game with my dad and like, as he was like, oh man, he's got like 16, 17 strike. And we were watching each one, yep. like counting them down. Yeah. He was awesome. Yep. Um, and then of course the original 20 was, was Clemens. Sure. So to me, like throughout his career, Clemens, Pedro, Randy Johnson, those were guys like if I knew that they were pitching and, you know, it was available at four o'clock or seven o'clock or, you know, I definitely tune in to watch that. Um, you know, you have a lot of them, obviously, in the fight sports, like Roy Jones Jr., uh, yeah, Tyson, Tyson, Connor Tyson. McGregor, Ronda Rousey, Floyd Ronda, Mayweather. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, today, I, I think Aaron Judge kind of inspires that from yeah, a lot I of people. I mean, me, he's I, a bomber. He's one of those that, like, yeah. you don't want to miss a judge at bat, you know? Yep. Yeah, and and like way before him, it was it was um, Canseco and McGuire. Uh, and then, me, you know, and McGuire and North. Sosa through the... Yep. the McGuire and Sosa, exactly. He was kind of like that a little bit, too. Yep. Yeah. A couple other quick ones I'll mention before we get to our first commercial break. In tennis, I think the Serena and Venus, um, Agreed. especially Good Serena, Gratterer is like that, too. And then in horse racing, I always wanted to watch i watched like every zenyatta race sure. uh, once she got into her streak and uh chrome after that and uh, pharaoh in racing, before that for me that, cigar because cigar was one of those horses that got me kind of hooked when i was like younger you know what i mean cigar so was just few of them uh, nowadays because it's like they get they get yeah popular as soon as you know who they are they're done they're retired and they're off yeah. to the bridge and thing, then winks know? obviously in australia i mean i watch winks uh, on yeah. friday night no. nice uh, nice good topic man that's a good it's a good uh a good topic good conversation there as we get set for our first commercial break when we return we're going to shift the focus a little bit actually we'll, we'll continue to talk a little horse racing and we'll talk some college basketball with scott shapiro i think scott's gonna have a new uh, podcast coming up soon he's been doing a lot of sports betting and wagering stuff we'll hear from scott in just a minute stay tuned don't go anywhere Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you? It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. For Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. 
He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps, on and off the field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Man, our next guest is a man on the rise over the last couple of years from just a chaper to capper. Um, doing some horse racing analysis. Now, when you follow at Scott Shap 34 on Twitter, you see anything from NFL, basketball, golf, horse racing all the time, articles, giving you all sorts of different trends, anything to do with wagering, gambling. He's about to embark on a new project, a podcast called the Who Do You Like podcast. Our good friend has been uh, joining us. I think, Mike, one of our first guests and probably one of our longest standing guests, Scott Shapiro. Scotty, you are just up on the way, my friend. Looks like things are going well for you. Thanks for joining us. What's up, Shap? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me back. Always enjoy chatting with you. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, getting the new podcast. Actually, uh, the first one gets started tomorrow, so looking forward to it. Awesome, Scott. Let's uh, let's hit a little bit of everything with you like we uh, – like we try to do. Let's start in the horse racing world. Things are starting to pick up now. When I when I see the risen star, to me that's always like the sign that okay, now that now we're getting the real real preps. So we when we start with who is live and we look at the points list right now. I mean, you have to talk about Bob Baffert because Bob Baffert has game winner, the undefeated Breeders' Cup juvenile winner. He has another undefeated horse in Improbable, and he has a third in Mucho Gusto, who's a very nice recent stakes winner. So just, and, and those are just a few of the Bafferts. He has many more. Um, start with those. How do you, you have those Bafferts ranked, those three? Yeah, obviously Baffert, pretty good at the Kentucky Derby and three-year-old yeah. game. And, and once again, the clear the clear one to beat as uh, we, we begin, like you said, the the, the, the real the real running, the first 50-point uh, Derby prep race was the Risen Star. I've had improbable number one um, since his win, really, in the, in the uh, Los Al Futurity. Uh, I do a Kentucky Derby top ten on KentuckyDerby.com along with my colleagues at Twin Spires and Brisnet. So we've kind of had to rank them, you know, to be honest, before maybe, before maybe it's realistic. But I, what I've seen from Improbable has really impressed me. And if you look at the trends of the Bafferts that have won the Derby um, and even Triple Crown races, there's a couple exceptions, point given, um, being one of them. Um, but most of them have matured a little later than their two, late two-year-old campaign. Uh, and none of them have been Breeders' Cup juvenile winners. So while I respect game winner, improbable is, is tops for me. And I was fortunate enough to get a little bit, uh, a little bit of money in on him on the first Derby pool. Uh, I believe he was fourteen or sixteen to one. Nice. So that's a good price. Yeah, nice. nothing crazy. Um, game winner to me, obviously, is hard to hard to knock. But if I watched his workouts on uh, the XPTV workouts, the last couple. 
I'm not, I haven't been as thoroughly impressed as I would like to be with a horse that is the favorite right now to win it. That's the only knock I could really have on them. Plus, it's a little interesting that they're both going to run in the San Felipe coming up. Yeah. I'm not sure what to make of that. Uh, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts. but uh, And then Mucho Gusto, I, I have in my top ten. Um, the jury's still out for me on him. I wouldn't be surprised I have him number eight right now. Uh, probably behind the other two for obvious reasons, but hard to knock what he's done three for four with a second in the low South Futurity to Improbable. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where he kind of separates and, and splits them up, I think. Um, we'll see. I mean, if he does, I, I'll be surprised if he does run them both in the San Felipe. I can understand why he's saying he just doesn't want to have to have them all ship them ship multiple times, which does make sense. But I think he maybe he's playing a little poker, and because uh, if you have his two horses in there, who the who the hell else is going to run a horse in that race? You know, right, they probably right. won't. So maybe maybe he tries to scare a few off, and then he'll send one. I wouldn't be shocked if Improbable ended up at Oaklawn in the Rebel, maybe, because I, I just don't think that the the Oaklawn horses that we've seen. I guess we can kind of transition to that. What were your thoughts on the Southwest? I had Sueno on top in that race. He ran second. He ran okay, you know, um, moving forward. And DeSormo does a pretty good job with some of these three-year-olds moving forward. But I don't think I'm really very impressed with what we've seen in some of those first couple preps uh, down in Oakland. I, I agree. It's hard to be overly impressed with what we've seen there so far with the, in the Smarty Jones and the Southwest. The Southwest might have been a little stronger. And supersedes, you know, an interesting horse that they've always thought a lot of, but I'm not sure distance is his game. I think it was more a great ride by Terry Thompson to, I agree. to make yeah. the move. Yeah, and I mean, if you had that horse at that price, kudos to you. I uh, I do think Sueno's the, the the likeliest horse to be a factor come the first Saturday of May, and I thought he finished well, and, and we might have been best in that race, and you know because of the 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 lack of quality to me after the first couple, it's kind of throwing darts to pick out where you're at with the rest of them. And I put him number 10 out of respect for Keith DeSormo, who is an excellent horseman and tends to have this one horse uh, on the trail. And he's done good things with horses that are he spent a lot less money for than some of the other guys. Obviously, Exaggerator comes to mind. And then last year, my boy Jack was obviously way over bet in the Derby, but still, you know, he did a good job with him and he ran on late. So I swear you know a horse that maybe could finish, you know, kind of in the Keith DeSormo fashion, run on late for a minor piece in, in in a race, but I doubt he's going to win the Derby. Hey, Bishop, let me play devil's advocate for a second. Same thing to you too, Gino. So I was also on Sueno. I rarely talk about my plays on the show, but I actually went up and down with uh, on the exacta with Sueno. And I remember Whoa. seeing uh, before the far turn this number six horse, Supersteed. I'm like, who the hell is he? What are his odds? And he's going to be, he's going to be the winner. And I'm like, he's going to be, I could tell from far away, oh, he was yeah. going to be a winner. I was like, I just hope that the seven can find a way to get in there for a second. From a visual perspective, it was pretty visually impressive. I understand that there are distance limitations. And I have a buddy of mine who's big on pedigree, and he said the exact same thing. But sometimes these visually impressive horses continue to improve. Yeah, I mean, Larry Jones has been high on this horse, and he has run at some impressive races, so I don't mean to totally exclude him, but um, he does have the look of a, a late-running one-turn horse to me more so, just watching him, you know, um, pedigree aside, Super Saber obviously won the Derby, so, you know, it's not crazy thinking, and you're going to continue to get prices on him, Mike, because nobody really believes in, in what they saw from what I've, what I've gathered. I don't know how you guys feel. Yeah, and if I could I, ask quickly... Oh, go ahead, Gina. No, well, no, I, I thought that... 
he, you know, you look at just the, the way he got bet in the previous races. He was always a pretty yeah. highly regarded horse. Too, yeah. You know, he really it wasn't just, that Sugar Bowl a pretty, it looks like a pretty key it, race. It was. The Sugar Bowl has right? been a good race so far. Yeah. yeah, it's been a very good race. Caleb, uh, I pointed that out on Twitter just the other day. Um, but I, I'm with you. I want to see, I want to see it again from him because I think this was, this is one of those things where he might have just gotten himself, I guess, he doesn't maybe doesn't have enough points yet, but because it wasn't one of the bigger points races. But that might be an instance where that making that one move on the turn could could vault you in, you know, just and that and that's really all it takes sometimes is just, hey, right place, right time, make yeah. a middle move, get there and, and you're in the derby. So we'll see how things shake out. But I want to see another race from him moving forward. It was a visually impressive move and it was a, a great ride. So I think I lean more towards right now. Um, as as kind of where uh, Scott was applauding the ride necessarily versus I'm not sure if this horse is going to be that good as the distances continue to move forward. Fair, fair enough. Uh, I do want to point one more thing out, which is just in the last you know few years, maybe what six seven years, you know, since they integrated the uh, point system, um, maybe even a little bit before that, it seems like the Kentucky Derby, which went from uh, annual average of like a twenty dollar win mutual to you know typically the favorite you know over the last few years right oh, so yeah. now it's kind of changed to who am i going to play underneath let me pick out the winner which is usually the baffer horse and then <laughs> and then and then let me and then let me figure out the, the horse underneath so potentially super steed could be that horse oh, another yeah. horse i wanted to ask about though which uh, i don't know how much fanfare it did or did not get but you know, Baffert, who doesn't ship north very often, sent uh, Kingly up there and was defeated by another visually impressive horse, uh, another twist of fate. Wanted to get you guys, both of your thoughts on uh, on that horse. I know Blaine Wright and J.J. Hernandez are typically not connections you think of when you're talking about the Derby um, or, or the Preakness, uh, which has guaranteed himself a spot. But just uh, quick thoughts on, on that horse. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the jury's going to certainly be out on a horse that runs, that has three wins all over the all-weather for me, all at Golden Gate. Um, not to knock the horse in any way, he's been incredible up there, and they spent three hundred sixty grand for him at the OBS June 2018 sale, so obviously they thought highly of him. His, his first uh, start at Santa Anita on the dirt, he did very little running. Obviously that was sprinting in a long time ago, but uh, always hard for me to take these El Camino horses seriously because I just haven't seen too many of them, uh, even, you know, whether they even get to the race do much uh, moving forward on the dirt. I don't know, Gino, what do you think? I I think I actually like him moving forward more than I do like Super Steed moving forward. Uh-huh. Um, I think that there's just a little more upside because I do like the fact that they've always liked this horse. Obviously, they they wouldn't bring him down to debut at Santa Anita, so I kind of throw a line in that debut race, and I'm willing to give him another shot on the dirt. They they wouldn't have brought him down if they thought he was just average. They would have just debuted him at Golden Gate or up there somewhere. So. Good point. You know, it's it's interesting because like this is one who I, I'm not going to circle and put him in my top five anywhere right now, but he's a horse that I'm not I'm not going to dis- discount yet. And maybe I saw some people on saying like a next shared belief type horse, but he probably takes the route where he goes over to Turfway, you know, or or maybe they come take a shot in Santa Anita in one of these next races. Who knows? But he. Um, he can be a little patient, as you mentioned, Mike, because he's in the he got into the Preakness now. So maybe this is a horse they don't even go hard on for the Derby, and they focus on trying to get him into the Preakness. I think he's just a horse who I'll keep on my radar. I won't completely dismiss that, him. I do. I, I think there's a little upside there. 
That that's a good point though on the on the patience factor and the preakness as we know never comes up anywhere near as, as strong as the Derby. Maybe if a long shot wins the Derby, you get a little bit of a deeper field, but of late with the favorites winning, you get two or three of the top horses, you know, that are in the top twenty, and then you get a couple new shooters and then a bunch of also rans and local type horses. So, you know, I don't know how you know it's hard to not try to make the Derby. I. I it's easy for us to say it, and I'd love sure, to be in, in those never, shoes and do it as well. Yeah. Um, but to do that walk, and you know, um, I think Peter Redcup, the owner, he's had, he used to have a lot of horses with Eddie Truman, I believe, or I'm not sure, but uh, they spent 360 for the horse, so they obviously thought something of him, and I'm sure they think even more of him now. Let's keep bouncing around the. Uh, we'll go to kind of go from circuit to circuit. Let's go over to the fairgrounds, and uh, you know, I thought this was a pretty good race. Going into the race and then coming out of the race, I think I like maybe two or three horses in here moving forward. Scott, War of Will has been pretty consistent. He, from an out, from a tough post, was very fast early, was able to kind of settle after after taking a little while to settle. I thought the second-place finisher for Bill Mott was pretty good. Um, Green late with a little bit of upside. I thought there was another one, Limonite, in there who had some trouble and might be an interesting horse with a, a smoother trip. What did you think about the uh, the group over at Fairgrounds? Well, I mean, the top two ran pretty well. I mean, War of Will, you know, keeps getting these per- somewhat perfect trips. But once again, that's the trip the Derby winner has been getting lately, that outside stalking trip. And what was most impressive to me about War of Will was the fact that everyone else behind him, you know, second, third, and fourth came from off the pace. He pretty much put away all the horses up front. So that's always impressive to me to kind of win against the flow of the race. Uh, I still... You know, being that the Louisiana horses have not done much damage in the Triple Crown and the Derby, I still always am a little leery to take this race and, and put it up there uh, with the others. But at this point, it's hard to knock what War of Will's done on the dirt and in the two uh, graded stakes races at Fairgrounds. I have to have him number three right now. I probably wouldn't want to bet him in the Derby, but I have a lot of respect for what he's done. And he's probably, you know, he's going to be in the race at this point. So that's, that's obviously a huge uh, plus. And then uh, the race that I think I'm looking forward to the most so far coming up is the Fountain of Youth. Um, it looks like there's going to be a really strong group signed up. Uh, horses like Global Campaign, Maximus Mischief, Hidden Scroll, Bourbon War, Code of Honor, Signalman, Mihos will come back in there again. Um, so I of that group, I think we we could see a possible, you know, Triple Crown. Uh, one of the one of the jewels of the Triple Crown race winner, like this, to me looks like probably the deepest group we're going to see so far. What do you think of some of those that we just mentioned? I totally agree. By far the most excited I am to see a race. It's kind of a number of horses that are you know in that fourth through you know twentieth number, uh, basically after the two Bafferts and War of Will. Uh, you have Hidden Scroll, who to me has the most upside probably of that group, but it's so hard to, to know how good that race was considering it was sloppy that day, and I'm not sure what was behind it, but, but, but it was certainly fast and certainly visually impressive. Uh, Signal Man coming back, uh, looking forward to seeing him. He ran a couple big races at Churchill when I was there. Uh, maximum mischief. It'll be interesting to see. I, I the jury. I, I kind of don't think this horse is gonna is gonna be there when all said and done come the first Saturday of May. But I certainly wouldn't have said that a month ago. I really was a believer in him before the Holy Bull. Um, who else do we have in there? Um, is, is standard deviation going in that race? Do you know? I I don't. I haven't seen anything one way or the other. Um, yeah, either about, have yeah. I. That that's a horse. If you ask me. 
I've had, I've been interested in that horse for some time. Thinking Derby, I know Brown. Yeah. Uh, always thought he was more of the Derby horse than the uh, Complexity, who was the favorite one of the second choice in the Juvenile. And I was pretty forgiving. I'm, I had the feeling that Brown was being patient with this horse, and I know he came back and got beat by the another of the horses you mentioned, Gino Global Campaign. But that was his first race off a three-year layoff at an optional claiming race. It's hard for me to think that. Um, Brown had him anywhere near cranked, or that was anywhere near the goal for this horse. But obviously, at some point, he's going to have to win a race like the Fountain of Youth or a run big in one of these races to get some points. But I think the distance is, is well within his scope, both as they uh, increase distances and certainly a mile and a quarter. So that's a long shot horse. I know when we were talking off the air, you 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 know asked me for one. Uh, global uh, standard deviation would be a horse at a price nice. that right now I think is worth a, worth a glance. Yeah, and you know, I know we want to shift to college basketball. I'm myself curious to see what we can expect from Galilean moving forward. Obviously, when you're installed as the two to five favorite in a five horse field, beat four other horses in a relatively soft field. Uh, hard, hard to really gauge where he fits into the uh, equation here. But um, I kind of have a, a sneaky feeling that he might be one of those developers that sneaks up on everybody. We'll we'll wait and see. I don't know if you have any quick thoughts on that, Shep. I've been impressed with what I've seen, but um, my colleague, Ed DeRosa, who I sit down the aisle from every day, <laughs> moved him up to number one. So I he's saw very that. Wow. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, he's gotten a lot of uh, bite back on that one, uh, if you will. Yeah, yeah. He's got to be a little <laughs> outside the box, right? I like that with Ed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's done, he's done a lot well against the California Breds, and we've seen Chrome be able to pull it off. Um, I wish he would have done more when he faced open company, and I'm just going to uh, kind of wait and see on him until he faces open company. It sounds like they're either going to go to the Sunland Derby or maybe to, or maybe stay in California. But uh, I do look forward to seeing how it works out with him. It's just a little bit uh, a little bit ambitious to have him high in the top ten from you know in higher well, rankings, if you will. I'd love at this to see point. him show up in New York, right? I just don't think there's much in that group out there. That'd be a great place it, to try to get in one yeah, of those New York prep races. Yeah, wouldn't be scared to do that. I don't think, right? right? Yeah, no, no, no. Not at all. Well, Scott, we only have a couple minutes left. We wanted to talk a little more, but when we start talking racing, we're going to just continue to roll, and that was uh, we were having some fun. Give us a couple. Right now, we saw what happened with, with Zion last night, unfortunately, and we don't know exactly how long he's going to be out. But give us who, who are the teams that you like, who you think are going to be standing towards the end, and then maybe one outside the box who could be like a sleeper. Well, you know, Duke's a clear-cut favorite. If we're talking wagering, you know, strategy, I think they're underpriced. At, like, they're less than 2-1 to one right now on Bet America, our website. Um, you know, obviously they're the, they're the deserving favorites with those, all those future NBA uh, high draft picks. But with the, lack of, with the lack of experience, and they really, when they fall, they don't shoot the three well, although they did against Virginia in that one game, but they really don't shoot the three well. They're not a great free-throw shooting team. And we saw last night without Zion, I mean, if they lose any of those players, they really have no depth. So to me, they're worth playing against in any sort of format. And, and one team that is not a popular pick, but uh, that I'm involved, you know, that I'm going to be pushing is Virginia. I know they lost, you know, in the first round last year to UMBC. But to me, that just could have them more hungry and create more value for them in, in any sort of pool setting or uh, in, in any sort of wager. So I think they have one of the best backcourts in the country in Kyle Guy and uh, Ty Jerome, and they have an NBA player in DeAndre Hunter. So don't sleep on Virginia just because of last year. Uh, they are, this probably is Tony Bennett's best team. Um, who else are we going to, if we want to just... Um, you, I mean, the pace of play uh, issues don't concern you at all? I'm sorry? The pace of play for Virginia? 
I, I no, you know what? I think they can. I think that I think their offense is efficient enough, and I think they can play it a little. They want to slow it down, but I don't think that they're. That, I mean, they brought in a couple guys that that uh, off their bench that are quicker than people think. I think they're more athletic than people think, and I think that they control the tempo so often that when they and when they don't, I still think they can shoot threes well enough to to handle it. So no, not really. I I, I don't know. I mean, I think this if they get the right draw, I, I think they're a real strong play to make the final four, and, and I really like this team and think they're extremely hungry and will really remember what happened last year and have that hunger. Scott Shapiro, you can follow him on Twitter at ScottShap34. You see his work at BetAmerica.com and that new podcast coming up soon, Scott. So as soon as we see the uh, the pods coming out, we will retweet them and get them out there for you. We always appreciate you coming on and talking with us. And we'll bring you back in a few weeks and uh, we'll get more into college basketball with the with the college tournaments and the, uh, and the big tournament. Sounds good. Look forward to it. Thanks for having me as always, guys. Thanks, Shap. Awesome. Let's take a quick break. When we return, it'll be contest winner from Capital One Bowl Mania, Larry Robertson. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific time 3 p.m eastern time on the voice america sports channel streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com this is the mike abadir show if you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144 or send an email to mike at the mikeabadirshow.com now back to this week's program final segment here on the mike abadir show and we are getting ready to welcome in 
our contest winner from Capital One Bowl Mania. Talk about a sports fan. Right now, he is at the uh, the hockey tournament, the state tournament in Minnesota right now. We can hear some of the noise in the background. We're going to talk a little baseball, too. Uh, a gambler, if you follow on Twitter, Larry Robertson joining us. Larry, how you doing? Terrific. How are you guys doing tonight? Good, Larry. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Larry. So uh, give us a heads up again. Where are you right now? I'm in a suburb of the Twin Cities called St. Louis Park, and I'm watching a high school hockey sectional boys uh, game. They're playing, which is the state tournament in two weeks. They'll play for the right to get there. But actually, the girls' state hockey tournament is going on this weekend in Minnesota as we speak. So that time of year here in the Twin Cities. Awesome. So we'll uh, we'll have to get the updates from you, and we'll follow along on Twitter with you. Let's let's shift the focus a little bit. You're on here, and you're hosting this segment because you were the winner of Capital One Bowl Mania. So you had a great score on that. Congratulations there. But we're going to talk some baseball. And before we get into your team in particular, what were your thoughts on Manny Machado signing for three hundred million for ten years? Would you have liked to have Manny on your team for a contract like that? I'd like to have him on my team, but not for a contract like that. Yeah. But that's that's the day and age we're in in baseball. Um, you know, Hosmer last year, Machado this year. Maybe a healthy Will Myers. I might have a little pop for once down in San Diego. Yeah, that's, yeah uh, there you go. Mike and I were talking about that uh, um, a little bit yesterday um, off the air in that their, their batting lineup is good. If they can maybe package a couple of their prospects and get a pitcher or two, um, they they might be interesting because the National League right now uh, is not nearly as deep as the American League has been the last couple of years. Yeah, you're you're right about their uh, pitching staff. They need a, a couple of guys to go some innings, eat some innings, and get some outs while you're getting the uh, innings pitched. But it certainly is going to help the attendance there and uh, help the fans come out and cheer them on. They'll put a lot more uh, runs up on the board. So it'll be fun to watch. Let's talk now about your team, the Twins. You know, it's it's really a good time for the Twins right now because – there are some good teams in the American League we've seen, you know, over the last few years. In particular, the Yankees, the Red Sox are really good. Houston's really good right now. But the division that you're in, with besides the Indians, are pretty good. But other than that, it's just not a strong division. This seems like a good time for Minnesota to try to maybe get into the playoffs. How do you think this team this year is going to do? Absolutely. I agree with you. I think they have a good shot. I think the Indians are on their downfall. I think they had their four-year window of opportunities passed for being dominant. And the Tigers aren't very good, the Royals aren't very good, and the White Sox aren't very good. So I think the Twins actually could win the division, but more realistically look for them as a wild-card spot in the American League. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, they, they've they got a, a really good right-handed pitcher in Jose Barrios. He's really come around the last couple of years. Uh probably one of the more underrated starters in the American League, if not all of baseball. And last year they picked up uh, Jake Odorizzo, so he's got a a season under his belt as a twin. But with the retirement of of a legendary catcher slash first base slash DH, uh, Joe Maurer, you were kind of relying on a couple of guys moving forward that really haven't been consistent, haven't panned out. I'm referring to Miguel Sano and Byron Buxton, who's got all the ability in the world. What's word 
going into the 2019 season about those guys and if they could step up to replace some of the hitting they lost? Well, the Twins weren't thrilled when Sano showed up at camp with a walking boot on. Uh, got hurt in, uh, don't quote me, was he playing in the Venezuelan where they won the World Series? Yeah. yeah. And he, must, he got hurt in the celebration, so his uh, heel and his ankle are all messed up. So he's going to miss the first seven to ten days, they said. And Buxton, one of these years, you hope he can just finally be more patient at the plate, take some pitches, he strikes out way too much, swings at bad balls, and a whole new coaching staff there, new manager, Rocco Baldelli, so who knows, maybe they can uh, sink it into this young kid. He's got to take some pitches, in my opinion. So what are... What are some of the things that you think will be strengths this year for the Twins, and what are some of the things that you think weaknesses and maybe a move you might have to make through the year, throughout the year? What kind of a team should we expect? Well, I think with the addition of Nelson Cruz, they're going to score some more runs this year. Yeah. I mean, granted, you're going to get your strikeouts, but you take that with a chance to get 40 bombs on the season. That's a heck of a risk you would take. They can hit. They've always been able to hit. Um, starting rotation is their key. You know, they got Michael Pineda from the Yankees a couple years ago when he was hurt. And so this is going to be his first year with the Twins, and they're kind of counting on him. And if Kyle Gibson can have a good year like he did last year, and they got the bullpen that's not too bad. I, I really think they can make some noise in the American League Central. Weaknesses, bullpen, you got to piece it together. You got you to gotta find out who can be your closer. They don't know who the closer is in opening days, you know, a month away. We're talking right now with Larry Robertson, who was a contest winner for us, and he won the opportunity to get a chance to host a segment on our show. And we're going to uh, make a little deposit of 100 bucks coming up into uh, Larry's TVG account this weekend so we can play some races. So, Larry, let's uh, – Let's talk about your your history. So you're obviously you know what you're talking about. You're a big sports fan, and uh, if you follow on Twitter, we can see you love to play. Um, you know a little bit of everything. Love to make a wager or two. How did you get involved in in sports in general and gambling? And you know, give us a little bit of your backstory. I I grew up in a family that was around baseball all the time and football out at the old Mets Stadium where the Vikings and Twins used to play, which is now the grounds of the Ball of America. And then they got Canterbury Downs here in uh, the mid-'80s, and I got a friend who actually turned me on to your show. That's how I found out about it. And he's really into horse racing, and I started listening to you guys and then fell in love when you had the Parlay Queen on this year. Yeah, yeah. a treat to listen to. And so I've just been doing that pretty much since high school. And uh, I don't know, I... I, had, I got the Gophers and the Wolverines over tonight, and I left halfway through at the Minnesota school. I couldn't throw it in the ocean in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> so I turned that off and came to a high school hockey game. <laughs> well, so in, in terms of horse racing, what kind of plays do you like? Are you a pick three, pick four, pick five, pick six guy, exacta, win plays? What, what are your favorite plays to make? Uh, usually just win and then exactas and tries. I, uh, okay. Occasionally across the board, but I'm – not a huge horse player. I'm going to play the big ones, Kentucky Derby, Preakness Stakes, Belmont, and Breeders' Cup, and some other, you know, Santa Anita Derby, and all the derbies that are coming up here leading to the Kentucky Derby. I really enjoy it. I like, that's how I uh, found, you know, listening to you guys. You guys certainly know what you're talking about in the horse racing. Thank you very much, Larry. Really appreciate it. And 
man, we look forward to bringing you on again. You, you're you're great, man. We know uh, we we get great information from you. It was fun to talk. Glad to get, uh, glad to get a little history, and we uh, we have a good we have a good group of Minnesota fans now. From what we're seeming, Mike, we have a yeah. lot of listeners in Minnesota. So once the Twins are doing well, Larry, we'll have to get you in, and you can give us some updates on them. We'll bring you on for a segment, and anytime anything uh, comes up. In the land of Minnesota, we'll have to have you on as a uh, a consultant for us. Yeah, I was just going to say, Gino, we may have found our uh, high school hockey correspondent out <laughs> there. There we in go. The yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well, I'll send you videos from the uh, boys' tournament coming up in a few weeks. It's it's, it's the equivalent to the uh, high school football in Texas and the high school basketball in Indiana. I mean, they have a huge television contract here for it. They sell out. Scalpers are getting thirteen, fifteen hundred for the high school boys tournament. It's it's really a remarkable uh, show they put on. Hey, don't break any copyrights, but definitely send them our way, my man. There we go. And uh, you follow on Twitter at Nana Banana of Nine. Really funny, especially when you're having a a, a tough game. A funny follow there, Larry. We really appreciate you calling in. Congratulations <laughs> on winning the contest, and best of luck in your wagering coming up. And we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Larry. Larry. Thank you, guys. Enjoy your show. Take Good care, stuff. my man. That was Larry yeah. Robertson. Right, bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. A- interesting guy. You yeah. know, he, he, he uh, definitely, like you said, he knows what he's, what he's talking about. He's obviously been a lifetime sports fan dating back to the old uh, Met Stadium days. So uh, I, I always like talking to uh, guys who've been around sports as fans for a really long time and hearing their stories and 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 how they got into sports and things of that nature. You know, the Twins actually have a pretty rich history in baseball with Harmon Killebrew on through the Frank Viola, Kirby Puckett days and winning the World Series in 87 and 91 as long shots both times. So, um, like you said, hopefully they're doing well. We'll bring on some guys maybe from the athletic. It's a we good can always, time, man. You know, that connect with those guys, winnable. you know? That's yeah. a winnable division. It really is. Like he said, I think Cleveland might be going backwards a little bit, and nobody else in that division really scares you right now. You know, the White Sox didn't really land any of the big ones that they wanted to hit on so far. Um, it's a good time in the next couple of years. Like you, I think you mentioned the key players, Sano and Buxton. They have to get big years. They really have to get at least get one of them. One of yeah. them has to have a big year and be able to kind of carry the team. But we're getting I'll tell ready. You what, the Royals actually have a few young players as well. I, well, I think well, we mentioned at the end of last so season. Long, you're, yeah. you're going to get some good players eventually. You know what I mean? Like when sure. you add year in after year after year. Like and hey, look, you've players. got a World Series winning uh, manager in Ned Yost there. So uh, anytime you have somebody at the top who is that kind of credibility, you're going to have guys that are eager to learn and to listen and to follow. And and I always think that's a good nucleus. That's what Boach had. Obviously, Boach uh, announced this week that he's going to be retiring after a quarter century in a row 25 years in a row of, of managing. Very rare, by the way. I think that puts him in elite company with four other guys. And you're talking, and we're not sec- talking football 16 games of the season. We're talking no. every day. Baseball. I know. That's every thousands of games. Day, it's unreal. Just when you just don't want to wake up, nope, got another game tomorrow. You know, <laughs> unfortunate. But I think it's uh, it's time for us to finish up here on the Mike Abadir Show. Mike, we got uh, football coming up next week, right? Yep. We'll be talking about the combine. And before we uh, uh, wrap things up here, just wanted to uh, big, big condolences about the passing of uh, Newcomb. Uh, definitely somebody that I f- uh, found to be a, a hero, an instrumental story, uh, chronicling his days getting into the uh, uh, league from the Negro Leagues onto the MLB, being a teammate of Jackie Robinson, winning out there, coming out here, dealing with alcoholism, etc. So I wanted to give a quick mention to that. And I know you appreciate that as a Dodger fan as well. So have a wonderful sports weekend, everyone. And we will talk, like Gino said, combine with you guys next Thursday. 
Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.